Well, good afternoon, everyone. Is anyone else feeling really blessed to be here this afternoon? I know I am, and um, just give a big thanks to all the team for the worship. That was uh, really beautiful. Yeah, let's give them a, a bit of applause. Um, now, as you know, Miriam and I have been coming here a few months, but I, I think some of us uh, probably don't know us uh, that well. So just a bit about myself and, and Miriam. As um, I'm married to my beautiful wife, Miriam, and we've got three, three daughters. Um, our oldest two daughters have, have moved away this year, so we're getting used to a, a quiet home. Um, the other day Miriam was on the phone to a friend and she said, I'm worried about John with all the rain and the kids being away. I think he's getting a bit depressed. He's been standing there staring at the window for hours. If he gets much worse, I'm going to let him back in. <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> um, uh, I grew up in a, in a small Methodist church up at, up at Coolum and I'm just old enough to remember the, um, the Congregational and the Presbyterian Church coming together with the Methodist. Who, who else remembers that or who was around at that stage? Yeah, yeah a few of us. Um, and um, we, we've been uh, around Australia a little bit, uh, but we've come, come back here in the last few months and it really does feel to us that we've, we've come home. And uh, I just really want to give a thanks to, to everyone for being... Um, warm and welcoming and, and loving to us. We really appreciate it. Uh, now I have been on elderships and done a bit of lay preaching and I've, I've done enough to know that um, the best thing to do at the start is to pray. So if you join me in prayer. Lord, we, we acknowledge that we're here today. We, we're gathering in your presence because of your love and your mercy and your grace through Jesus Christ. We give you thanks and praise for that. Lord, I, I pray that my words would be your words and that the words would bring blessing, that bring encouragement and challenge to us uh, to encourage and help us on our way for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so our reading today is John 13, 1 to 17. And can I ask Riley to come up? It was now the day before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. He had always loved those in the world who were his own, and he loved them to the very end. Jesus and his disciples were at supper. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, the thought of betraying Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him complete power. He knew that he had come from God and was going to God. So he rose from the table, took off his outer garments and tied a towel around his waist. Am I going to seven? Seventeen. Oh, I think so. Keep going. <laughs> then he poured some water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and dry them with the towel around his waist. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Are you going to wash my feet, Lord? Jesus answered him, You do not understand now what I am doing, but you will understand later. 
Peter declared, Never at any time will you wash my feet. If I do not wash your feet, Jesus answered, you will no longer be my disciple. Simon Peter answered, Lord, do not wash only my feet then, wash my hands and head too. Jesus said, anyone who has had a bath is completely clean and does not have to wash himself, except for his feet. All of you are clean, all except one. Jesus already knew who was going to betray him. That is why he said, all of you except one clean. After Jesus had washed their feet, he put his outer garment back on and returned to his place at the table. Do you understand what I have done to you? He asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and it is right that you do so, because that is what I am. I, your Lord and teacher, have just washed your feet. You then should wash one another's feet. I have set an example for you, so that you will do just what I have done for you. I am telling you the truth. No slave is greater than his master, and no messenger is greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know the truth, how happy you will be if you put it into practice. Thanks, Riley. Awesome. Um, so we're in the middle of a, pass of a series about knowing God, and the theme today was about power. Uh, but as we heard in the kids' talk, it's also two weeks to Easter. So I've chosen this pre-Easter passage to sort of combine these two themes uh, together. Uh, but before we get going, I'll just start with a quick quiz. Uh, if we could have that next slide, Sam. All right. So who knows who this upstanding gentleman is? Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, so he was the 16th president of the United States and um, a lot of people put him as a number one of the presidents of the United States. And he, he said a statement that I think is a very wise uh, statement. Uh, he said that nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. I thought that was a great statement and it certainly seems pretty relevant in the world today at the moment. Uh, now, another authority figure in history, Spider-Man. Does anyone know, apart from Josie, uh, something Spider-Man said about power? Yeah, his uncle teaches him, his uncle, sorry? Yes, that's right. And yes, you guys are right. Technically, that was Uncle Ben and Aunt May. <laughs> All right. So. There's some wise words about power, even from Marvel, but I still think we're better off uh, heading towards Jesus to, to learn about power. And so as we go through our passage together today, I'd like us to think about three questions. First one is, uh, what power did Jesus have? Second one is, what did he do with it? And the third one is, what does this power mean for us? This is quite a well-known passage that we did today. As Jesus sits down with the disciples, it's before the Passover meal, and the passage initially makes it very clear Jesus is aware of what's happening. In verse 1, uh, the scripture tells us Jesus knew the hour had come to leave this world and go to the Father. So Jesus knows his time has come to die and to go home with his dad. Prior to this, there's actually been several attempts to either arrest Jesus or to kill Jesus, 
or at one stage a crowd wanted to appoint him as king. All of those attempts went nowhere. God the Father and the Son made sure they didn't come to fruition. But Jesus now knows his time has come. I really like this sentence I found in a commentary. Um, it said, the death of Jesus would only take place at the time which the Father had decided and for which the Son had waited. Earlier in John's Gospel, in chapter 10, Jesus says this about himself. He says, I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I receive this command from my Father. So Jesus, at the very least, has the power to decide to lay down his life and to take it back up again. And he'll only do it when the Father gives the go-ahead. The Father's giving direction and Jesus is running the show on the ground. And for me at least, I think it's really good for me to remember that through Easter. Because uh, my mind at least tends to go to a natural way of thinking that Jesus gets caught up in events and gets taken along. Um, but nothing could be further from the, from the truth. Uh, Jesus the Father and Jesus the Son are in control. In the next verses, though, we're given some more information to help us with our questions about power. Uh, in verse 3, it says, Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power and that he could, had come from God and was returning to God. Other translations say the Father had given all things into his hand. So Jesus is aware of his authority over all things. His lordship and his power is complete. He repeats in verse 14, I, your Lord and teacher. Later on in chapter 17, he would acknowledge that the Father had given him all authority over all people. So in Jesus' mind, the answer to our first question is that he has all power and authority. Now, words can be cheap, but for Jesus, it's not an empty statement. We know that he's backed it up. He's healed incurable diseases. He's thrown down demons. He's told a powerful storm to stop. With words from his mouth, he's raised a guy from the dead. And in a few days, he'll conquer death itself and resurrect to eternal life. So it's safe to say he really does have the immense authority and power that he claims to have. But the second question we ask was, what is, God, what is Jesus going to do with this power? Verse 1 tells us, having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. As I read that, I thought, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing for someone to say about your life, your own life, um, that you, you loved your own to the end? So having been given power over everything, Jesus chooses to love. Now, power can mean different things to different people, but Jesus is going to give us a picture of what he means by love. In verses 4 and 5, Jesus gets up, takes off his outer robe, ties a towel around himself, and starts washing the disciples' feet. So just a bit of background. Most of us will be aware uh, foot washing was a degrading and lowly task. If you can imagine the paths in, in that day and age, um, the dirt and the dust, there were no sewage systems, there was animals on the street. So you can imagine, or perhaps you don't want to imagine, all the sorts of stuff that would be picked up by um, feet with open sandals. So the general etiquette was when a guest arrived, it was the slave servant who would do the washing of the feet. 
Jesus is clearly adopting the posture of a lowly, humble servant. It's interesting that none of the disciples offered to get up and do the job, um, but Jesus does, and uh, he goes around the disciples and he comes to Peter. Peter, as Peter tends to do, opens his mouth and says something. And he basically is saying to Jesus, you can't wash my feet. And he's inferring that this job is too lowly for Jesus to do. Then Jesus, as Jesus tends to do, instantly turns the conversation into a kingdom teaching moment. He says, unless I wash you, you can have no part of me. So at that point, Jesus is indicating the foot washing is a picture of what he will do on the cross. Firstly, it's a picture of the nature of the crucifixion. I mean, if Peter thinks this is bad, the crucifixion in a worldly sense would be way more degrading and humiliating. So he's showing us the nature of the crucifixion, but he's also showing us the purpose of the crucifixion, which is to wash us clear, clean of our sin with the aim to restore relationship back with God, or as Jesus puts it, to have a part of him. Getting back to the passage, Jesus makes the shocking statement that not all of you are clean. A few verses after this, Jesus is visibly troubled by this, and he eventually commands Judas to go and do what he's going to do. So Jesus is aware Judas is going to betray him, and it's hurting him. Even though it's part of the ancient plan, Jesus is still hurt by the betrayal. But even knowing all of this, Jesus still chose to wash Judas' feet. And I think if you want a holy God, if you want to look at a holy God, look at Jesus having been given immense power and authority, who then goes and washes the filthy, filthy feet of Judas, his betrayer. I think that's daring and caring 10.0 or something. I think that's incredible. And I think at first it shows us the depth of love Jesus had for his own. Jesus loved even Judas to the end. The second thing Jesus washing Judas' feet reminds me is uh, Paul stating in Romans 5, 8 and 10, he says that God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in verse 10 he says, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. So we're here today gathered in the presence of Jesus because Jesus didn't wait until we were worthy. In the same way he took the first step and he loved us while we were still sinners, while we were still against him. And I guess as, as I prepared this message, that was one, one thing that Jesus sort of put, uh, God sort of put his hand on, on my shoulder and, and just reminded me how privileged we are to be in the presence of God. Um, I'd taken on a few too many Lent devotionals, I think, and I'd started to get in a, a bit of an automatic, um, automatic sort of phase. Um, but this made me stop and I just realised how precious it is that we have the privilege to sit down and, uh, and talk with Jesus and be in his presence. Okay, so back to the passage. Uh, Jesus brings it all back to a practical life lesson and he says in verse 14, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. At the end of Jesus' chapter, uh, he repeats this teaching, but he expands it. 
and he says, as a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. So it's an enormous blessing and privilege to receive the love, but at some point to fully honour Jesus' love, we need to allow our hearts and minds to respond. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for Christ's love compels us, it urges us on. I think we need to let this love move us to want to love Jesus in return. Jesus is clear through the Gospels, loving Jesus means following his commands. Not out of, gee, I better do this because God's going to get me, but out of thankfulness and gratitude. So by asking us to go and do likewise, Jesus is offering us the chance to love him in return by obeying him. But it's not that easy. As we've seen in the passage, it may mean a lowly task or even a humiliating task that we're being asked to do. We may be asked to lovingly serve someone who has let us down. It may be just a difficult task or people may oppose us. Uh, we actually now live in a society, most of us will be aware, that's mostly post-Christian or even anti-Christian. So in, in some people's hearts and minds, there's walls of apathy, walls of irrelevance uh, or even hostility. And I think that's where our last question comes in. What does this power mean for us? 2 Peter 1.3 says his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. And in Ephesians 1, Paul prays for the Ephesians and for us that we may know God's incomparable great power for us who believe. And incredibly, he says that power is the same mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. So I think it's amazing to think that the power that rose Christ from the dead is somehow available to us. Um, while Ralph and I were talking around this, this topic, Ralph posed a good question. He said, how does that power become more of a reality in our lives? Uh, so I'm going to suggest a couple of things. Um, and that will be connection and direction. Now, just to, to use an illustration, who's used one of these travelators before? Okay, as we know, when you're hauling a ton of bags and dragging three young kids around a big airport, these things are a godsend. They're a source of power to help the journey. But to tap into that power, you need to do a couple of things. The first is you have to connect to it. You actually have to step onto the ramp and connect to the ramp. And likewise, we need to connect to Jesus. Jesus' famous illustration uh, where Jesus says, he is the vine and we are the branches. Apart from the vine, we can do nothing, absolutely nothing. So I think an aspect of, of um, sensing the power of Jesus is to nurture the connection we have with God and I, I don't think it's rocket science. I think like all, all relationships, quality time and communication are the key. Prayer, including listening, God-focused scripturing, scripture reading, praising and, and worshipping. But I think the second key to tapping into that travelator is to make sure you're heading in the same direction. If you walk sideways, you fall over. If you go backwards, you waste a lot of time and energy going nowhere. 
If you climb over the side, you lose all power. I know these things because my young kids did all of those manoeuvres and more when we were going through airports. But when you start walking in the same direction on the Travelator, you get this surge of speed and you get this surge of power. And I think as we step out in the same direction that Jesus is going, washing feet, servant love, as we say, daring to share and care, we're walking with him. We're in step with the Holy Spirit. We're joining his great work of bringing the kingdom of God into this world. And I think as we go doing that, we experience his presence, his peace and his power. I also think that combination of being motivated by Jesus' love, being connected to God and stepping out in the direction of Jesus to wash feet, to servantly love, it's kind of like spiritual dynamite. And I think it really helps to knock down some of those walls of irrelevance or apathy or hostility. Just to give an example of that, just a, a little testimony. Um, we had an elderly couple living next to us as neighbours and Miriam got to know the, the lady particularly well and Miriam was praying for her. She did share some things about God with her um, but as a well-off independent person um, she wasn't particularly open and didn't particularly see the relevance. Uh, but her husband passed away uh, one day with illness and she sent an invitation around the street to everyone in the street um, advising them that there was a, a funeral going to happen up in, up in Brisbane. Um, and so Miriam felt that she would go along to the funeral. And she turned up at the funeral and uh, it turned out Miriam was the only one in the street that, that made the effort to get up and, visit and, and attend the funeral. Um, now the neighbour knew that Miriam was a, a busy person with three young kids, managing a household, uh, managing work. Uh, but she could appreciate the, the sacrifice and, and love behind, behind that decision. And I think it was that sacrificial love that opened up sort of the key to her heart and she became a lot more open um, uh, to the gospel and Miriam was able to share the gospel with her. And uh, for the last, what is it, two years, three years, Miriam? Three? Last three years, she's been regularly meeting with Miriam. She's given her, her life to God and they regularly meet and, and pray together. So I reckon in the end we complete our experience of God's love and power as we obey Jesus and step out and first love others, as we go out and wash feet. Trembling maybe, totally dependent in prayer, absolutely. But I think we can go with the thankfulness of Jesus' love and the assurance of his power. So just let me leave, leave us with a question. I think a final question is whose feet will Jesus ask me to wash this week? This week, next few weeks over Easter, this year. So as we go through this, the week, we can keep an eye out for foot washing opportunities, knowing that the love and the powerful presence of God are with us. Uh, I'll, I'll finish in prayer and then Ray's got some announcements. Lord, we thank you for your power and your authority. Um, and we thank you that you chose to use it to love us 
to sacrifice yourself and to bring us back into relationship uh, with you. I pray by your spirit, Lord, uh, you will enlarge our hearts and our minds and our souls uh, to fully appreciate uh, the depth and the height and the width of the love uh, behind that and uh, equip us to go out and love others in your name. In Jesus' name, amen.